The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. Then the devil took him into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. This is the second temptation, and in the next two, I'm going to cover two of them. I'm going to try to step away from the traditional interpretation of them, which shows them how Jesus is being offered by by Satan, the major things of life, uh, to look at a common thread in them that takes us back to the Garden of Eden, the very first time when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and this is now the first time where he's tempting Jesus publicly in order to get them to repeat or to re-ratify the covenant he made with our original parents and the covenant that he now wants to make with Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus has come to do right what they have done wrong. And it's that point in history in which everything is on the line once again in a unique way. The way in between Adam and Christ, it was not on the line. And now, once again, there's the real opportunity to do right. And Satan is right there to say, in effect, okay, Jesus, I want you to now ratify and reconnect with a second covenant the first one I made with Adam and Eve, I got to go into the garden. We consummated it at the uh, um, consummation dinner, which was supposed to be had with God, but instead they got their basic understanding of good and evil from me. So the devil takes him up into the holy city and sets him on a pedicle of the temple and says, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down. Now, as I said, there are a lot of directions I want to go, but in, but instead there's a common thread. And at this point, I'll say something which I've been saying to preachers for years now, and that is, if you talk for more than 10 minutes, the only person who's really listening is yourself and God. Uh, Nobody listens past 10 minutes. I don't care who you are unless you're a very special, special kind of speaker. If you're Reformed, you think it doesn't really matter if anybody listens. Um, And probably you're saying stuff which doesn't really matter anyway. Because if you have the attitude that it doesn't matter, then probably you don't matter. But getting back to this, why shouldn't the Son of Man jump? It's bad theology. In fact, to jump goes against the second promise, first, second, third promise found in the whole Bible. The first promise is, the day you eat of it, you shall die. The second promise is, uh, you can eat it, you won't die. And the third promise is, On your belly you shall go, dust shall you eat. 
That's the promise that God made to everything that Satan puts his hand to. And please don't tell me snakes don't have hands. And everything that through his new people, Adam and Eve at that point, everything they put their hands to was going to bear this curse. They were going to effectively be believing Satan when he says that on your belly eating dirt, that's a really good thing. And as we look at these um, uh, temptations from Satan to Jesus, you'll see that this is what he's offering Jesus also. It's the fulfillment of that Genesis 3 curse. And that's the best Satan will ever be able to do, is to offer belly-crawling, dirt-eating satisfaction. And now here's, here's the irony of it all. If there is any satisfaction in belly-crawling, dirt-eating, if there is any satisfaction you get from it, it'll be because God created the very appetite that is being satisfied, whatever it might be. Satan has no... Nothing he can offer you except the perversion of everything God has given. He can't even offer you pleasure. The pleasures that come from sin are pleasures that come because God made you the sort of person who could sin in that way and whatever the interesting thing was. It's a structure of creation. Satan can't even offer that. All he can do is attempt to get you to destroy yourself and as much of the creation as you can take down with you as you crawl on your belly and eat that dirt and say, Oh, what a good boy am I. So when you look at the great secular civilizations, the great achievements of mankind, and are totally impressed by all these stones that are there and all that Satan has to offer, in these temptations, Jesus shows that Satan's highest achievements are nothing more than his perversion of the good thing God gives us. And a tiny subset of all God has to offer us if we do things Satan's way amounts to a hill of beans, what a snake can reach on his belly. The stones to bread magic, uh, for instance, offered in the first temptation uh, for the Son of God, who was going to transform these stones into bread. We saw there everything Jesus used a stone to represent throughout the scriptures showed that what Satan was doing was, was offering the tiniest little thing when, when Jesus Christ was going to transform the stones of creation themselves. Now we come to the offer of a jump to show that he is the son of God. Yeah, 100, 200 feet. And Satan offers this pissant little leap that, that proves the angels care or fulfills a promise of the Bible that Jesus is God. This is going to do it? He jumps off a building? See, the 91st Psalm was the song David sang to comfort Jesus Christ at this moment, but not just here, but also on the cross when his feet were dashed and pinned in place with iron nails, and the same was done to his hand. From, the stump, from that stumbling block of the cross, the angels would bear him up, and Satan offers him a flying trip? God offers the redemption and transformation of the of the world to bring it back truly to the way he created it, to belong to Jesus Christ with people who were bold to follow him and stake that his claim. And Jesus wants to fall for uh, jumping off a building. Now look, when you're drawn into sin, it's because it makes sense. Step back and you're always going to find with Jesus Christ that Satan offers a cheap, chewed up bone under the table with the dogs that you have to fight over with, when he has a feast set up on that table waiting for you to partake of it. 
Satan will make belly-crawling, dirt-eating seem interesting and even valuable and actually a natural craving. God meant us this way. The girl is cute. You want to marry her. Why not live together using the modern tools of sterilization and disease control, or why not just practice with her even if you don't plan to live with her? You see, God offers a nation to spring from her womb in your loins. Why would you trade a knight in the sack for that? What is there to offer when Satan comes to you with something that seems so attractive, so fun? And by the way, through divine providence, we have the modern tools to both sterilize and control disease. Isn't this a good idea? Why not? Today, our children are being offered just that. And part of the reason they're being offered that is because the church for years has taught that the reason premarital sex is not good is because of basically disease and unwanted pregnancy. My friends, the world has solved that problem. You can now do things to prevent disease or cure disease. You can do things to prevent pregnancy or erase the pregnancy through murder. You see, and so now our children are growing up in an environment where all the reasons the church gave for here is why you should be moral were not God's reasons. And there are a few fundamentalists out there who would say, well, God commanded it, so do it. What if you look at the entire structure of the nature of what a covenant is and what God wants to accomplish with you and your life? What he wants to accomplish with you is not some cheap, pleasurable trick. What he wants is for nations to come forth from you. And because it's a fallen world, if you don't get married or you can't have children, he wants, he's just freed you up from that particular calling to go do things that only a single or a married without children family can do. Why would you trade that for cheapening yourself, for, for making covenant with the snake who's saying, hey, this dirt is good. Try it. You'll like it. Now, that's just one example of a sin. I picked that one because it's, it's a pretty easy one to see how because the church has failed to teach the covenants of God, the promises of God, the future things that God wants to accomplish with you, those things we fail to teach and therefore we're left with, well, it's a command, you got to do it. Not sure why, but you got to do it. Or you're left with, oh man, they cured the problems of sex outside of marriage. Gosh, I don't know if I have an answer to that. When will the church start teaching the scriptures? Let's turn now to the second, or excuse me, it's the third temptation. It's the second one I'm looking at today. Uh, the third temp temptation cuts short, uh, uh, rather shortcuts, um, the, let me stop here. What God is offering Jesus Christ is shortcut by the third temptation. And by the way, for all three of them, if you go read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Pro Progress, what you're going to see is that almost every one of his little sketches uh, are an example of how uh, Satan takes us from what God offers and offers a cheap alternative to it. Verse 8, again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. At this point, Satan had dozens of verses he could have quoted. By the way, they're the dominion verses Calvinists are so fond of. 
uh, we quote them building great monuments to the prophets who went before us, quoting these dominion verses. And thus we show, as Calvinists, as the ones who understand the scripture the best, that we are twice as fit for hell as the people who stoned the prophets, who said all those things which we built into our theology. The Mr. Calvinist, I want to tell you something. The more you quote the dominion verses and do not take dominion, the more you are building the monuments to the prophets who murdered the, excuse me, the monuments to the murderers who murdered the prophets who came before you who gave those verses and their vision and calling of God. I, frankly, if I were you, my advice to all Calvinists, all Christian Reconstructionists, everybody who takes that whole line of thinking seriously, all you post-millennialists, is become Arminians, become dispensationalists. It's much, much safer to be ignorant and to be able to say, God, I had no idea. This is just what I got taught. Than to be somebody who knows the dominion passages of God the way Satan knew them and to say this is true and to look down on all those other pissant, pathetic Christians. I think I've used pissant enough. These pathetic Christians who don't even understand what you understand and yet not live by the words that are there. Read Matthew 23, where Jesus talks to the very people who stand in the doorway of heaven, knowing the law of God, knowing all these things, and yet they're the very first people who will not let one person in. Uh, they will block that door. They'll keep them talking and arguing forever. The people who will not go out and make one convert, what they do is they prey on the converts that other people make. These are the scribes and Pharisees. This is the spirit of scribes and Pharisees. You can't say that because you don't treat the law of God the way they treat it, that somehow you're different. Because the fact of the matter is, how you approach the law is identical to how they approached it. To turn it into this thing that, first of all, you have to be an intellectual genius in order to follow it. And second of all, you have to be somebody uh, who, who is able to talk forever and not do a damn thing. Daniel 7, where the kingdom of God is given to the Son of Man. And then you look into the interpretation, and Daniel says, hey, what does this mean, this, the Son of Man? And in the interpretation, the Son of Man isn't mentioned. The kingdom of God is given to the saints of the Most High. That's you. That's you in Jesus Christ. There's that bond where in the interpretation, he doesn't even have to mention the Son of God. We see that bond that, that Jesus says, it's better for you that I, I leave you right now because I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to do all that stuff that you think can't be done if I'm not here. Well, I'm here. It's called the Holy Spirit. That's me. I'm here. Psalm 72, where the kings of the earth bring their tribute. The admonition. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you, which is based on the fact that he has all power. The destiny of Christ was to rule the earth. Listen, Satan is a good Christian reconstructionist. He knows these verses and he knows the sound theology behind them. Have you fallen for the same temptation that he offered Jesus? This temptation was the same one that came back to him whenever he was successful. Jesus was successful in his ministry. And they all wanted to follow him or make him a king, not realizing that he was the king already, the king of kings, and he wanted an earth in which all mankind and their rulers and everybody worshipped him. It's the temptation he wrestled with in the garden shortly before Judas came to kiss him. Why go through all this temptation, this privation, this humiliation, and finally death and hell just to reach a bunch of people who at best can get, barely get along with each other? 
And at worst, well, we don't want to talk about God's people at their worst. But here is Satan saying, look, my friend, just take the direct route. There it is. All the kingdoms of the world are yours. Look at Satan's offer. What did he hold out? First of all, all kingdom and power are not rightfully Satan's in the first place. He's the usurper. They rightfully belong to Jesus Christ, and he was rightfully supposed to, in the Garden of Eden, supposed to come and with Adam and Eve partake in their holy meal together after they rightfully condemned Satan and put him out of their way. Satan usurped that holy meal. Satan usurped that place of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the rightful heir of all that Satan offered him. It's as if someone snuck into your parents' house, stole everything, and then offered to give it to you if you would just do what they say. Remember, that's what Satan said. Bow down and worship me. It's all yours. Hmm. To tell you the truth, that really does sound like what the federal government is telling us today. Pay us all your money, and we will buy you everything that we think you need. Yeah, I never really thought of it that way before. But anyway, getting back to the text, Satan sold that inheritance in the garden, and now he thought he could buy Christ, the heir, with his own inheritance. It was rightfully Jesus Christ. Another issue raised here is the question of who is in charge of the earth? Today, many will tell you that the earth is Satan's domain. Now, Calvinists know better than that, and Reconstructionists know better than that. But there's a whole branch of Christianity that believes that, that the earth is Satan's domain. There's two kingdoms. Uh, uh, there's a kingdom of, of civil government and the world and universities and all that stuff. And then there's the kingdom of God, which is the church, particularly the local church. That's the kingdom of God. Um, this, is, this is just all Satan was trying to get Jesus to understand, that the world belonged to him and he was willing to offer it to him. Societies and governments and social orders belong to Jesus. But that's not what Satan said. Satan wanted Jesus to understand that, that we are the small band, the few, the brave, the proud, the Marines of the people of God, and we hold out against the world. And, G and, and, and Satan wanted Jesus to be the leader of this band of Marines that somehow holds out until finally the world falls apart, the gospel fails, the Holy Spirit drags his pitiful butt back into heaven and says, God, I just, I mean, we just couldn't do it. Jesus, you're just going to have to come back and just beat the crap out of everybody and do all that last day stuff that the dispensationalists have been saying you're going to be doing. See, the temptation is to put a... Is, is to take the short circuit, the shortcut, the easy way out. Jesus refuses to give Satan an inch. And in his ministry on the cross, he takes back all of creation to himself. And the, 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 the reason I howl against Calvinists, Reconstructionists, and all these people is they might write mighty books about this very fact. Where are they? I'm sick and tired of reading your books. I won't be reading any more of them. Here in this temptation, Jesus puts the lie to this claim of Satan. It is not that Satan is wrong about the kingdoms of the world. They do indeed are going to be given to Christ. It's that what Christ is accomplishing in the cross is so much bigger than the tiny little things which Satan offers you to distraction, distract you. Yes, Satan had provisional rule up until the time of this testing. But after that rule, it was going to be broken. After that testing, the rules, Satan's rule is broken once and for all at the cross. 
Even now, the prince of this world is cast out. When we get to the cross, we state in John 12, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. From that cross onward, Jesus Christ is ruling the earth as the air and the sun who passed every test. He passed those tests in your place. He has driven out the false ruler. Do you live as if Jesus Christ rules the kingdoms, the families, the businesses, the churches of this world? Stop. Do you live as if Jesus rules the earth? What does your theology tell you? What does your life tell you? Would to God you were an Arminian who thinks that everything's going to get worse and worse and Jesus is going to come to deliver you. That's the shortcut Satan offered. But the judgment that falls on those who know better, who actually say, yes, we inherit through Jesus Christ, the rule of the earth. And yet they can't follow Jesus Christ one inch for fear that he really doesn't rule the world. Jesus turns to Deuteronomy 6, a few verses up from this last quote. That is the last quote in, in, in John. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Get a load of these temptations. Each one of them is trying to get you to settle for what you can reach from your belly. The dirt tastes mighty good. Get you to settle for all that. And he says, away with you, Satan. Away with your theology of dominion. Away with your theology of we rule the earth. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So every time you are tempted to say, we cannot overcome abortion. You're buying into Satan's lie. Every time you run into a church, and I know a lot of you go to churches and you prophesy against them. When you're there, what you are saying is, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Is that a lie you, in essence, repeat every Sunday in your worship services? Or is this true? Have you decided the only thing that you can take that's going to be worth anything is the dribble from the toilets that the state has to offer? They shall come away and take away our place, is what the Pharisees said about Jesus and why they had to turn him over to the Romans. And they shall come and take away our 501c3, is what the leaders of the church today say about what the state will do if they actually stand for God in the marketplace, in their families, in their businesses, in their politics. In their, in their defense of the children, in, in their standing for what is righteous. Do you worship the Lord your God and him only do you serve? That's how Jesus Christ dealt with, temptation, with the temptation to take the short circuit, the short cut away from the fullness of God's plan. Even the fullness of God's plan as interpreted by the verses of the fullness of God's plan is interpreted by Satan and refuse to settle for anything less than being able to say it and Satan, you are finished. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. 
And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.